Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hey there. Welcome to our second episode of Literary Quest. I'm Marissa and I'm here with Vicki, my co-host. This week we'll be discussing A Court of Mist and Fury, the first half of it by Sarah J. Mass as part of her A Court of Thorns and Roses series. We are super excited about it. This is our favorite book in the series. So we have made a list and we'll be checking it twice to make sure that we get all of our plot points discussed. Is it too early to start making Christmas jokes? I mean, Christmas is just right around the corner, right? Yeah, I don't think it's too early. No, it's not too early. If you keep Christmas in your heart, it's never too early. Uh, So some things that we're excited about this week. I discovered that Passion Flicks exists. It's a streaming service for romance novels that have been turned into movies, which is super exciting because I love Hallmark movies. And these look like Hallmark movies, basically, but like with sex and cuss words in them. So the non-TV edition approved versions of things, which is right up my alley. So I'm super pumped to know that that's a thing that exists. Vicki, what are you excited about this week? Well, I found out that the last season of Schitt's Creek is finally on Netflix, so I'm super excited to get started on that because I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. So good. Loved it. Loved it. So good. Right, so let's get started discussing A Court of Mist and Fury. So I'm going to start with our character descriptions and our location descriptions this week. So we pick up uh, about three months after the events that occurred under the mountain in the first book. Uh, some of the places that we will be visiting in this book so are going to be the Hewn City. Hewn? Hone? Hewn. H-E-W-N, Hewn City, which was Amarantha's inspiration for setting up her court under the mountain uh, because it's located in the mountain. And this is where, so the, what people think of as the night court is hosted. This is where they live. They, but um, there's some differentiation, the, the night court and what it's called. So the court of nightmares would be the population that's housed at the Hewn City. Um, and it is home to people who are uh, ruthless, ruthless day, basically. They are hateful and um, super unfriendly. And Reese has a palace that's located on top of the mountain, uh, which is where he first takes Farah in this book. We'll also be visiting Valeris, also known as the City of Starlight, which is basically just beautiful. It's surrounded by mountains and a river. And this place has been warded with magic to keep away uh, people who don't have good intentions, who aren't coming there on purpose because it's a secret basically. And it is heavily protected by magic, which is in sharp contrast to the, what we see with the Hewn City. So it has a bunch of districts. One of them is called the Rainbow of Valeris, which is devoted specifically to artists. Uh, It's beautiful. It is best seen at night. And this is where Reese makes his true home. So he has a house here and that's where he lives in comfort and happiness. And this is also where the Court of Dreams is based. And so we will talk about them in just a little bit. 
Um, we also make a visit to the prison. So the prison is hosts or lives kind of around the night court lands. Uh, it is home to some of the big, bad, dangerous folks in Prithian and it hosts people who've been there since the beginning of time in this land, basically. And there are people there who are there and nobody knows why they're there or remembers why they're there because it's been that long. We meet some new characters in this book. So one of them is named Ianthe. She is one of the 12 high priestesses in Prithian and she is described as having long gold hair and teal eyes. And uh, she wears robes in cord and can like as part of her priestess garb. And she has the stages of the moon cycle tattooed across her head. Ianthe was uh, like childhood friends with Tamlin and she has just returned to Prithian. She was taken away by her father to Valahan, which is the continent next to Prithian, uh, for the duration of Amarantha's reign of terror. So she has just returned to Prithian and is living in the spring court lands and is uh, quote unquote friends with Feyre. Um, we also meet what's called the Court of Dreams. So this is going to be basically uh, Reese's inner circle of friends. So one of our characters, her name is Amrin. She is Reese's second in command. She serves as his like political advisor and historian and walking library. She's been around basically since before Prithian. She is super, super old and she looks high fae, but she's not. She uh, has short like chin length black hair that is straight and she has silver eyes that are disconcerting or troubling to look at at times she was actually a, a a prisoner so she lived in the prison and escaped she loves jewelry and she drinks blood and she has she falls into the category of characters who've been made so Farah is also someone who falls under this character category too. Her true form is not revealed in this book, but basically she's someone who had an alternate form and was made into, basically their essence was put into a form that was not one that they started in originally. Also part of the Court of Dreams, we have Moore, which is short for Morgan. She is Reese's cousin and his third in command. She oversees all of his court dynamics. She's also high fae, super powerful, super awesome. She is described as having brown eyes and golden hair, and it's just beautiful, basically. Also part of the Court of Dreams, we have Cassian. So he is uh, the commander of Reese's armies. He is super snarky and sarcastic. He was born a bastard to an Illyrian laundress, and his father is unknown. I'll talk about Illyrians in just a second. But basically, he was left to fend for himself, and that is how he met his two best friends, Cassian and Rezand. Um, he's described as having hazel eyes and black hair. He's super powerful, has wings, and he's one of the few Illyrians who uh, use siphons, which is a form of uh, like garb or part of their uniform that allows them to channel raw power. So he's super, super powerful. Last member of our court of dreams is going to be Azriel. So he's also Illyrian. He is a spy master for 
Rizand, and he's also a shadow singer, which is a coveted uh, gift to have. He can wield and control shadows, and he can hear things in shadows that people, other people can't. And so he is an excellent spy. He was also born a bastard, but to an Illyrian lord, and so his stepmother was super cruel and awful she kept him in a cell as a child and would only let him out in the sun for like an hour a day he could only see his biological mother for like an hour a week i think um and he because of this he wasn't allowed to learn to fly until he was like 11 which is would be like us as people not being able not learning how to walk until you were like 11 so this thing that you were meant to do that your body most of the time allows to happen uh, not happening until you were well into your developmental state like life and so um, he is also best friends with Cassian and Rezand. Uh, I mentioned these people a couple of times but we'll talk about the Illyrians so the Illyrians are a warrior race um, they are super strong. They live in the night court lands. Uh, Reese's father uh, met his mother, who was Illyrian, and uh, Reese's father was Fae. Um, but they, they use siphons to channel power. They are a super misogynistic uh, race of uh, society, I guess. So they cripple females as soon as they start menstruation. They clip their wings so that they can't escape and are basically forced to procreate with their male warriors which is super awful. Um, and so Reese's part Illyrian, Cassian and Azriel are also Illyrian. Um, we meet some people, so we learn a little bit more about some of our characters, characters that are mentioned a little bit in the first book. So one of them is the King of Hyvern, um, and he is a jerk, basically. So he was Amarantha's commander uh, before she took off um, to Prithian and began her reign of terror. And his, so he fought to basically maintain the enslavement of humans as servants to the Fae and was eventually defeated, but is very salty about it. And so we start learning that his, he is making plans to attempt to enslave humans again and take over human lands. We also meet Jirian. So we have a little bit of mention of Jirian in the first book uh, as trinkets that Amarantha wears. So Jirian, uh, like Peter Pettigrew, <laughs> should be dead, but isn't really dead. All that's left of him is his finger and his eye. And so uh, and we spend the first part of our book discovering if he can be brought back to life just from having a finger left. Um, Jirian is a human who fought in the war to liberate humans from the Fae, and he seduced Amarantha's sister, who was also a human hater, into basically falling in love with him, and he tricked her into revealing all of, his, all of their secrets, and then he basically tortured her, and she died, which was very upsetting to Amarantha, and so she fought and destroyed him, and in our last book, she kept his finger on a necklace around her neck and his eye in a ring, which is exciting, <laughs> I guess. Probably not if you're Jurian, but it sounds really special. Finally, we have some new, not really, they're kind of monsters, not really monsters. 
So one of those characters is going to be called the Bone Carver. He's a prisoner. He lives in the prison. He carves the doors of the prison. He carves into bone. And he appears differently to everyone. So he appeared as Jurian to Reese when they went to visit the Bone Carver. And he appeared as just a young black-haired boy to Feyre when they went to visit him in the prison. And he has been around forever so he knows lots of things but to get information from him so he likes bones bones is a good story especially um so to get information from him you must share a bone and then you also have to give information about yourself to him before he'll share information with you we also meet the weaver she lives in a cottage in the middle of like in the middle of the country and she is super morbid and she keeps trinkets that belong to other people and she guards her trinkets um, and she basically captures and harvests people and turns their bodily parts into string yarn who knows what happens with the string or yarn or whatever but she's described as having thick black hair looking young in appearance from behind but her skin is gray and wrinkled and sagging and she has rotting black pits where her eyes should be and her lips are withered. And she has a mouthful of jagged stumps for teeth. So she sounds just lovely. Okay, Vicki, you wanna take over our plot description? I do, I am so excited to talk about this. Okay, so we start off, it's three months after the events Under the Mountain. We're back in the spring court. And after the events of Under the Mountain, both Feyre and Tamlin are having like PTSD episodes. Like, so Feyre wakes up, or Feyre wakes up and from nightmares and she throws up. And Tamlin has nightmares and he shreds like the sheets, but they're not trying to find comfort in each other. They both just sort of ignore it. We learn that they're engaged and they're planning their wedding. But we also learn that Tamlin has started showing some really concerning issues regarding control. He doesn't like to let Feyre leave the state, and when she does leave, she's always sent with guard or with Lucian. When she presses the issue, Tamlin always says, oh, why don't you paint or plan the wedding instead of concerning yourself with issues happening off the estate? We learn that Farah has not painted since Under the Mountain. She hasn't had the urge. She hasn't felt inspired. And we also learn that she is not excited for her wedding. She's not interested in planning it. Instead, Iante has been planning it. And the only request that Farah has is that there be no red in her wedding. And she hates her dress, but she goes along with it. Tamlin goes along with it to make each other happy. Right? We also find out that Yante has a habit of inserting herself into situations that don't require her and forcing her will. So Farah, well, I'm having trouble. <laughs> goes to a village with Lucian, and Lucian defends Tamlin, saying that Tamlin is scared for her safety, and that's why he's trying to keep her safe and on the estate and unwilling to let her wander. Pharaoh compares herself to being a prisoner. Lucian feels that's not fair, and it's an awkward moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the days leading up to the wedding, there are a lot of festivities. And during that time, we learn that Reese hasn't come to collect on his deal with Vera to take her for one week a month, even though it's been three months. So the wedding day arrives. Vera is walking down the aisle, and she sees red rose petals. 
only thing she didn't want. So she starts panicking and pleading internally for somebody to help her, right? And all of a sudden, Rish shows up and there's a clash of thunder and darkness. So it's this very dramatic entrance that he makes. And he says he's coming to collect on his bargain. And Tamlin and Farah are like, seriously, right now? And he whisks her away, or winnows, that's what it's called. He winnows her to his private residence in the night court. And Farah describes it as being the most beautiful place she's ever seen, which if you remember, her first description of Reese was the most beautiful male that she had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And Reese tells her that the tattoo that she uh, has uh, can, connects them. And so he can feel what she's feeling sometimes. So that's how he saved her from her wedding. And Reese tells her that while she's there in his court, she's going to learn how to read and how to use mental shields so that she can block him out. We're introduced to more during her visit to the night court and Pharaoh overhears them talking about an attack on a temple. Reese then tells her that he believes war is coming between the humans, Prithian, and Hybern. At this time, it's also revealed that Reese fought in the First War, which makes him more than 500 years old and more eager to avoid war. Reese also tells Farah that she is particularly strong for High Fae and wonders if she has gotten any additional powers due to the way she was made under the mountain. He encourages her to speak with Tamlin about what he's told her and returns her to the spring court. We find out that Tamlin has trashed his place, freaking out, and she brings up what Reese said to him. Tamlin dismisses the idea of trying to find any new powers and training and the idea of war, saying it's not going to happen. Tamlin and Farah get into a big fight, and Tamlin attempts to apologize by giving her paint. Farah tells him that she feels that she's suffocating and needs to be able to have her freedom and leave the estate. He becomes furious, he destroys the room, and she manages to protect herself using wind. Instead of talking about their issues, they have sex, and that's when Reese shows up and takes her back to the night court again. He asks her what happened because he felt her terror when Tamlin had uh, freaked out and became really upset. She says everything is fine, nothing happened, and Reese is very respectful and doesn't press the issue, but he does comment on how she doesn't look well and that she looks as though she's lost a lot of weight. He again has her practice reading and putting up her shields. He sends her back to the spring court, and the idea of training comes up again. This time, Lucian is trying to get Tamlin to agree. Tamlin refuses and continues to be really controlling of Farah to the point that she actually needs to be rescued by Moore. So Moore takes her to the night court, where Reese tells her that she can stay forever if she wants. He says that there's something he needs to attend to. She asks if he, she can go with him, and he says yes, but that if he does, she does. She cannot speak to anyone about what she sees. She agrees to this, and they travel to Valeris, the city of Starlight. It's been untouched by Amarantha, and Feyre doesn't understand how that's possible, but Reese reveals that he had protected it. Feyre is confused because the Night Court is also described as an awful place, 
and Reese explains that while there is a city under the mountain called Hume City, it's the Court of Nightmares, there is also Valeris, the Court of Dreams. We then get introduced to Reese's inner circle, which is Moore, Cassian, Azrael, and Amran. We learn that he actually, the top two people in the command are both female. And Fair is impressed at how casual they are, all are with each other and how they're friends, which unlike Tamlin's court, they are, which is very separate. They begin discussing uh, the King of Hybern. Reese says that he believes the king is trying to bring Jurian back. And Jurian is the ancient warrior who killed Amaranthus' sister. In order to find out more about this, Reese takes Feyre to the prison to visit the Bone Carver. From the Bone Carver, we learn that the King of Hybern is trying to bring back Durian. We also learn that it can, can be done by using the cauldron. The Bone Carver also tells them where the cauldron is and how to destroy it. He suggests that Feyre will be able to help track down the needed items with her new powers. These new powers include being able to sense objects that belong to the High Lords. Reese decides to test these powers by asking her to retrieve an item from the weaver that used to belong to him. She is able to successfully retrieve the item, and Reese announces that they will need to go to the summer court in order to find another one of the objects required to destroy the cauldron. They also require something from the queens in the human realm, so they travel to the human realm while they're waiting to hear back from the summer court, and they go visit Pharaoh's sisters. Her sisters are still ungrateful. They're unhappy to see her, are even more unhappy that she's now high fae, but they begrudgingly agree to help her. And while they're in the human realm, uh, Farah gets attacked by the adder. Reese saves her, but we also find out that he was using her as bait. This infuriates Farah, but Reese is able to help her channel that anger in order to get her to winnow. At that time, we also find out that things are not going well in the spring court with Tamlin. In an attempt to help, Farah writes a letter to Tamlin saying that she left of her own free will and will not be coming back. When they return from the human realm, we learn that the summer court has invited them to visit and that Reese, Farah, and Amran will be the ones to go. So that's the first half of the book. So spoiler alert. This is the end of the first part of our podcast. From here on out, it's all going to be spoilers. We'll discuss our very strong feelings about what happens in this book. So if you don't want spoilers, if you don't want the ending of the first half or any part of the first half spoilers ruined for you, then you might want to save the second half of this podcast for after you've read the book. But if you don't care, keep listening. Let's start with the first talking point on our list. So part of this is going to be addressing some of the, the physical and the psychological effects that Farah experiences as a result of being under the mountain. So she basically just experiences PTSD, both her and Tamlin do, but they don't talk about their feelings. Tamlin doesn't really want to hear about Farah's feelings, and so he pretty much isolates himself or he turns into like his beast form so that he can protect them. And his entire like uh, goal, I guess at this point is just to protect, 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 control, control, control. So the wedding. Okay. So it doesn't start out great. She's not 
excited about her dress. She's not excited about walking down the aisle mm-hmm. or anything. Super nervous. Yes, very nervous. anxious. I think maybe Alice says it looks like she's getting ready to go to a funeral and not a wedding or something. So That's right. Yeah, Alice does say something to her about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so she's almost at the end of the aisle when she notices, I think, the red petals mm-hmm. and starts, like, screaming internally, help me, yeah. save me. And she looks at Giante and she looks at Tamlin and I'm sure she looked like she was freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> like She's having a panic attack basically. <laughs> <laughs> and in the middle of the, like of all these other people who are there to watch. Uh-huh. Her. Yeah. And, and she pauses like as she's walking down the aisle, she's pausing and like uh freaking out. Yeah. And then go ahead. Reese shows up uh, in all Reese. his glory. <laughs> yes. He makes like a huge entrance, which is really the only way he can do anything cuz he's a little extra yeah he's amazing he's amazing. Um, yeah so he's he comes in with thunder and the darkness surrounding him and he just I love how he he does it he's just there and he's like super chill yeah he like brushes lint off himself or something yeah he's, he's like, like oh is something happening <laughs> are you getting married or something <laughs> is this a special moment did I interrupt <laughs> oh he's so great yeah (laughs) yeah so he calls in he calls in the favor and of course Tamlin is like losing his mind because his ability to protect and to I want to say isolate that's he's not consciously isolating Farah, but his ability to protect her and keep her in his line of sight basically is compromised and so he's losing his mind wedding is destroyed Yante <laughs> escapes classic Yante and, <laughs> and uh Reese basically saves the day and takes her like calls into yeah the favor and takes her to the night court and he's like you can thank me anytime basically that's right so oh he's so sassy mm-hmm. I love how sassy he is This is just going to be like an hour of us fangirling about how much we love Reese and he's the best. (laughs) Yeah, he really is. Well, I love though um, Mass's description when Farah first sees, you know, the house that she's in and it's Mm -hmm. all open, which is great because she's felt so enclosed for so Mm -hmm. long and it's all open and it's got these, the stars are amazing and these beautiful snow-capped mountains and just the descriptions Mm -hmm. that, mass has in this mm-hmm. book are just gorgeous oh yeah oh yeah she's so talented with words and character development too she's just she's the bomb and stuff like so this is when now this is her first week in the night court mm-hmm. with uh reese and he i love it because instead of being like you've to spend all this time with me he's like you're gonna learn to read and you're gonna learn your mental shields how to heat mm-hmm. that up he's not just like oh you have to spend all this time with me or like suffocating her with his presence right he basically locks her up in like the library or leaves in the locker room <laughs> right puts no. Her in a, no locking up on his head he puts her in a study and has her copy over all these funny notes like uh resand is the best lover resand is is the most beautiful high lord resand is the most charming high lord <laughs> all of these yes. complimentary things to him which <laughs> irritates her but i love i love the irrit so i love that he irritates her basically i'm a pest at heart um i don't have 
I mean, I just, that's just my nature. I like to irritate people a little bit, I guess. I don't know my cats. So <laughs> I, I pester them to the point that they bite and scratch me and I just can't stop myself. And so the pest in him where he's trying to draw fair out, basically we, f- we figure out that that's what's happening when he's uh, challenging her in these ways or te- like teasing her a little bit. He's basically trying to draw her out of this, crushing depression that she's been experiencing Mm -hmm. for the last three months yeah and i i love that part where he brings her food right um and he asks her is there like just tell me what i can do Mm -hmm. tell me how to make this better or something she's like yeah oh (laughs) which we're not getting from tamlin tamlin's not even noticing that she's losing weight from vomiting every night um that her face is pale that she's got shadows under her eyes that her clothes don't fit Mm -hmm. there's at one point it's the second time she goes to the spring not to the spring court to the night court with reese and he's like do y'all not have any food like and tamlin's like what (laughs) come on (laughs) (laughs) and there's that time where she manages to like push herself into reese's head and mm-hmm. see herself through his eyes and yeah. she really gets an idea of how she looks because she's thin she just looks you know, horrible but it's insane to me that she can look this way that she through her own eyes can or through Reese's eyes is able to see what she really because she stopped like really taking note of how she looks at this point she's able to see through his eyes how she looks how gaunt she's become um, and like it's visible but no one in the spring court was doing anything to have any sort of like care or concern or check in with Feyre. I mean, she's supposed to like Lucian is, I mean, they're, they're friendly at this point. I don't know that I would call them friends because he's not a good, like if they're friends, then he sucks. Basically. He's not a good yeah. friend because she's visibly losing weight. And he seems to the, have, go ahead. He's, uh, seems to have more awareness than Tamlin does, but even so, sure. he's like, he's like, oh, I'll say something to him, yeah, and then doesn't push the issue at all, right? Because we don't want to upset Tamlin. We can't, or we can't Tamlin. push him too far. We can't hurt his feelings. He might get upset. Like, what about Farah? She's like, yeah, drowning, yeah, and nothing. They're doing nothing to offer help. It's yeah. all about Tamlin. So uh, when she gets back from the, the night court the first time, um, she's learned to train her herself to um, shield things from penetrating her mind, basically. And she started learning to read. And she mentions to Tamlin that Reese wants her to start training. He thinks that a war is coming. Uh, the King of Hybern is stirring up trouble again. And she wants to train because she is starting to come to realize that she has like all of these powers and Tamlin's like, "Mm, no, you don't need to train. We don't need to do that. And there's not going to be another war. So don't even worry about it. Like it's not a problem. Uh, And and if you do need something, I'll just protect you. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, she was the one who saved him in the first book. She was the one who saved him, who was the most capable person in the first book, who taught herself to read, not to read, who taught herself to swim, who taught herself to hunt and to make snares, and who fed her family for five years and saved everybody. Don't worry about it. I got you. I'll just protect you if you need help. No problem. Like, also, if we train you, it'll draw too much attention. People will know you have power and they'll want to kill you. So why would we train you to protect yourself right. from people and, who want to kill you? <laughs> and that part of the whole, oh, what will the people think? People will know and then may try to kidnap her. Or they have mm -hmm. kids, you know. That A lot of that comes from Beyonce mm -hmm. whispering in Tamlin's ear there. Yes. Ugh. Sneaky. Beyonce is sneaky. She's got her own um, what schemes or... She's got her own ambitious plans for herself. So she's masquerading as Feyre's friend, but she is not Feyre's friend at all. She she's terrible. Friend. Yes, she is. She only cares about herself <laughs> and she's terrible. Herself is terrible. Let's talk about this fabulous moment that happened when you were reading this book. So, okay. So this summer, Vicky started reading these books and she read A Court of Thorn and Thorns and Roses. And she was like, oh, Tamlin is so great. I just love him. And in my mind, I've read these books already. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you're not going to feel this way for very long. <laughs> and she starts the second book and she sends me a text and she says, I can't believe you let me stand Tamlin. <laughs> I felt betrayed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I couldn't give away the plot, but now, now that, now that we know that you shouldn't stand Tamlin because he sucks, let's talk about Tamlin. <laughs> yes. So after she's returned to the spring court a second time, mm -hmm. um, she gets more insistent with Tamlin and pretty much she's like, let me come with you mm -hmm. on this. He's going off on some excursion to hunt some monsters, right? Yeah. And she's like, let me come with you. And he goes, no. And they, they're arguing. And mm -hmm. he locks her in the house. So this is the massive <sighs> turning point. My heart when this happened. I think oh, I cried. I, I at very least teared up. I think I cried too. But oh my gosh, because her reaction, like, and the way uh, Mass wrote it, was it just, it felt like that because she was so clearly in, like, her own bubble, like, panicking. And you felt yes. panic. Yes, you could feel her distress, like the way it was written. I, like I could feel it in my, like in my chest, in my heart. Mm -hmm. Her anxiety and her f fear, and so Tamlin locks her in the mansion and wards it so that other people can leave, but she cannot. And Farah is cons is consumed by darkness. Basically, it's like she creates a bubble of blackness, and I mean, it's just like screaming. Mm -hmm. And nobody can reach her, basically, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what happened. And then I think, um, does Alice call more? Somebody, how I don't know. Oh, no, no. Alice right. doesn't call more. I think uh, it's that Reese can Reese feel her me. distress through the bond, and he has to, and more has to be the one that goes into Tamlin's mansion. It can't be Reese uh, because of some our laws because of the laws right. more has to be the one that saves her and um alice is just alice says something like take her yeah it releases her yeah alice, yeah that's so, where alice yes so alice like 
people know, people know that Farah is in distress and they have done nothing to help her. That it, oh, I get so irritated. I mean, the fact that Alice is like, the most help she's given Farah during this time is to let somebody else take her away. Yes. After Tamlin has locked her up and sealed her inside. Like, there's a point where she throws open the windows and tries to, like, reach Mm -hmm. out and her hand just hits, like, an invisible wall. And for her, she was trapped under a mountain. She was trapped in a jail cell. You know, she was tortured and she has these nightmares of being trapped. Mm -hmm. And Tamlin, just no consideration for that. So... Yeah. God. He's awful. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) We can't say it enough. He's just awful. Uh, Feyre is rescued. She's mm-hmm. taken to the night court, which I I love. I love that. I love so Feyre. You know, she um, wakes up and is like, "What's going on?" And Reese is like, "You can stay here, no matter what, forever, if you want to. Like, whatever you want to do, you don't ever have to go back. You can do whatever you want here, but I gotta go." Uh, and I'll be back in a little bit. And Feyre is like, take me with you. And Reese is like, okay, come on. <laughs> he makes <laughs> her shower not- first. Yes, he makes her shower. He's like, you got 15 or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, goes back to being uh, kind of playful with her, which I think is probably something she need after needed after what she experienced with um, Tamlin locking her in the house. But I love that contrast too. So Feyre has been begging Tamlin for months and months and months to let her go out, to let her see people, to let her go with him. And every time he's like, no, I don't think so. I don't have the guards to spare for you. And the first thing that happens when Feyre gets to the night court and Reese is like, I gotta go. And she's like, can I go with you? He's like, yup, come on, let's go. There's no going back from here. You can't tell anybody what happens beyond this point. But sure, come on. I love that. And that's, yeah, he's he's so great. Yeah, <laughs> he is so great. Well, I, he, I think, is able, I don't know if it's that he, Farah is just so capable of protecting herself and taking care of herself and i mean she fought two naga in the first book without even really knowing what they are and so tamlin's excuse is that he doesn't have the people to protect her she's not trained in hand-to-hand combat all of these other things she could still take care of herself she's that capable she's been a hunter for years Mm -hmm. and so i think reese i mean recognizes her for what she is which is incredibly capable mm-hmm. so now he takes her to valeris and i picture a townhouse I, is that how they describe it i'm not sure i think I it is yeah right. i think it's described as a townhouse yeah so and the townhouse and his friends show up mm-hmm. or his inner circle show up and he gives her the option he's like you can either meet them or you can go lay down and go to sleep and she off to like go to sleep but there's this point where she's like I could have sworn I saw some like disappointment in his eyes Mm -hmm. and because he wants her to be part of everything too like there's an act of it it's not just letting her come along it's also wanting her to be part of it right which was something that he had said once before about her being Tamlin's pet right Mm -hmm. he said something about like do you really just want to be his pet you know or do you want to be able to get out there and actually help and fight yeah so I think that kind of goes along with it. So what I like is that 
all like Reese and Farah and all of Reese's friends, they're all like the outcasts basically, you know, more um, is basically shunned by her family. Mm -hmm. Amarin is like, nobody knows what Amarin is except that she's scary and is like 15,000 years old. Cassian and Asriel are both bastards. Um, Reese was, you know, part Illyrian, part Fae. So even then kind of shunned by like his dad. I mean, they're all, they've all, <clears throat> and then Feyre, she's made, was human. And is now, so they're all people who've kind of experienced like rejection or this feeling of being a little bit different or shunned by others, which is something that brings them together. Mm -hmm. I like that in their friendships. For everyone who's ever felt like they haven't really fit in with everybody else, I think that that's, that that's is really relatable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they get taken to the House of Wind, um, and Reese flies with Pharaoh for the first time. And I just love how, like, oh, classically human her concerns are. She's like, you're going to mess up my dress and the wind is going to mess up my hair. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to mess up your hair. It's going to be fine. He just takes off with her. He's just so great and willing to do whatever it takes for her to be comfortable. So he's like, I want you to meet my friends. I would like for you to work with me. If you don't want to, it's fine. You don't have to work with us. I just want you to see if it might be something you're interested in. But if this isn't going to work for you, then we'll find you something else that's meaningful for you to do. And Farah needs meaningful. Mm -hmm. She needs a purpose. She needs something. That's just who she is as a person is she needs something that's going to give her a sense of meaning. Um, and I just love how kind and understanding he is for her. Um, and then they have this moment. So it's when, um, they get to the house of wind, which is like their official meeting place in Valeris. And, um, Ferris nervous about meeting his friends, the inner circle. And Reese is like, if you, I'll tell you three things, if you tell me what's on your mind or something. And so he tells her these three things. And then Farah comes to this realization that, uh, so that she, she says she realizes that she was lonely as a human and she fell in love with the first person who was nice to her, which is Tamlin. And she realizes that just because Tamlin was nice to her doesn't mean that he was a good for, fit for her. Um, and I think that's so powerful because the, I mean, that's her entire, you know, as a child, um, her mom wasn't ever really close to her. Her sisters pretty much rejected her from childhood. Then her mom died. Then her dad lost all their money. So she's been alone and fighting for her family and to support herself for most of her life. And she finally meets someone who makes her feel special um, and not alone and is just kind to her. And it's, I can't imagine that would be so hard to feel so lonely and then to have that feeling of being loved and cared for again and then realizing that it's actually not even a good situation for you at all. Um, I think it speaks a lot to the growth that she experiences. She, she goes through a good bit of like self-awareness as part of this process and realizes that maybe Tamlin was nice, but 
just because someone's nice to you doesn't mean they're a good fit for you. Yeah. There's also sort of an expansion on that later where Farah says that the mountain broke them both to mm -hmm. where they didn't fit like together anymore. Yeah. Well, which sort of is um, saying, you know, somebody who'd be a good fit for you at one point in your life and isn't at another. Right. Along with that. Yeah. So. People change, grow, sometimes grow in different directions. Yep. Uh, okay, let's talk a bit about the bone carver. The bone carver. Oh, I love the bone carver. I love the scene when she when she goes to the prison. That is so cool. So, it starts off the first time they try to go. Mm -hmm. Right. She backs out. She's yeah. Like I can't do it, and he's like, "It's fine. Don't worry about it." Yeah. And then they go a second time after Amarin gives her a pendant mm -hmm. and tells her it'll keep her safe. So they go and they walk and they go like down under the roots of the mountain is what he says mm -hmm. and that's really stressful for her because she just spent all this time under the mountain mm -hmm. but she braves through it and they get to the bone carver mm -hmm. and reese gives him the bone of the midden garden bird mm -hmm. yeah that killed him killed right the it. specific yeah the specific one that killed the worm mm -hmm. and the uh, bone carver says, okay, we'll help, like, I'll answer your questions, a question for a question. Mm -hmm. So they ask him what, like, what's to be done about uh, King Hybern and the cauldron and all of that. But the questions that I obviously really like were the ones he asked, mm -hmm. which he wanted to know from Farah what she saw mm -hmm. after, you know, when she died. Yeah. And she told him that there was like peace and darkness mm -hmm. and he got kind of he got a little upset or disappointed wanting to know like was there anything else and she mm -hmm. was like she said no uh but then later on she says there was like i could feel that there was an option mm -hmm. right and then he asked um reese to tell him something that nobody else knows yeah and reese goes my left knee hurts when it rains. <laughs> yes, he's so great. <laughs> he is. So clever. It's just a good moment to like break it up. Yes. Because then he goes back to asking Pharaoh questions. And it goes back and forth a little bit with him asking her more about death. But there's the part where he stops like asking questions and being like, that's it. And then Pharaoh's mm -hmm. like, tells him one more thing, which is if there had been a third they under the um if it hadn't been tamlin she would mm -hmm. have turned the knife on herself yeah and killed herself and uh that ends up you know letting uh them find out everything that they really need to know from the bone mm -hmm. carver and also reese's reaction to that mm -hmm. was just it was sweet i think anyway he had this brief yeah. reaction so i love that scene and then the bone carver tells farah um he'll carve her death into the bones and that he wanted her bones <laughs> yeah after she died yeah is it weird um the other thing which you'd mentioned in i think your description of the bone carver is that he appears different to everyone mm -hmm. right so two people could be looking at completely different things mm -hmm. and like you said reese saw jurian and pharaoh saw a child mm -hmm. so i love that scene i love the little back and forth mm -hmm. between, it, between them and He's just a cool character. Yeah. He comes back. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I love that scene too. It's so, it's just the bone carver. He's so, 
quirky, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's just an interesting character. You know, he's one of those like as old one another one of those people that's been in the prison for as long as like time has been recorded in the prison, basically, which makes you wonder a lot more about him because obviously there's got to be <laughs> I mean something kind of scary about him if that's the case um but I also like Reese I like Reese's responses to the things that Fair is revealing so he's uh, upset like visibly bothered when she's talking like she's revealing all of these things like she says she heard the snap when her neck was broken um when she says that she was going to kill herself if it hadn't been Tamlin like Reese is visibly bothered by these things and so I know that Reese often gives this like slightly cocky, snarky, sassy, maybe a little bit arrogant appearance, but for him to reveal emotions where he's like, I mean, I, I feel like he does reveal when he's really, truly bothered by things, but it's just like an unexpected, it's not expected for him. He's taken by surprise. And I feel like he doesn't get taken by surprise very often. Right. So at one point, uh, Reese tells Feyre, so he's, providing all of these little tasks for her kind of like as a test but not really as a test but one of the things that he wants her to retrieve is something from the weaver and I love this scene it's one of my favorite scenes in the book so uh Rezand uses this moment basically to put Farah in a stressful situation and realize that she may panic and if she does panic, can she stay alive and escape those situations? And so this, this whole situation, this whole scene just glorifies like how capable Farah is, even though she's experienced all of these awful things. She says, I was not prey any longer. I decided as I eased up to the door and I was not a mouse. I was a wolf. Um, and then later when she's trying to escape the weaver, because of course she gets caught, she says, I was not a pet, not a doll, not an animal. I was a survivor and I was strong and I would not be weak or helpless again. I would not, could not be broken or tamed. And I love that because it's such a sharp contrast to what Tamlin was trying to make her into. So Farah writes a goodbye note to Tamlin saying that she's not coming back. She wasn't kidnapped, and she's not going back to the spring court. Don't come looking for me. I'm fine. And she does this because she hears that there are some issues going on in the spring court where Mm -hmm. things aren't going well. It's kind of in disarray. And she's like, hey, maybe it'll help if I told him that I am gone for good. It doesn't. Mm, It does not. (laughs) Not, It is not not helpful. Nope. Does not. Yeah. So... She writes this note, and it's supposed to be this. It is. It's a big turning point for her because she's finally made the decision to not go back to the Supreme Court, which she was planning to make her home for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. this was going to be her future, and she, you know, has made like made a big decision mm-hmm. in her life. One of her first real decisions, yeah, you know, making her life her own, yeah, is to not do that. And right. Yeah. When she realizes that she has options at this point, too. So before it was just the Supreme Court and Tamlin, basically. And she was friendly with Lucian, but it, he wasn't like a confidant. She tried maybe a little bit, but I feel like she probably, I mean, it, it seems like she got frustrated because he would like kind of go to bat for her, but Tamlin would be like, no. And Lucian would be like, okay. 
<laughs> Fine. I guess I won't try to advocate for her anymore. And now she's come to the night court and she is realizing that she has options. She has people that she could actually be friends with who she can confide in. She could be friendly with more. She can train and she's got like shared experience with Cassian and she's got all of these potential options for growth and just experience things. And she had none of that in the spring court. He's it's isolated where uh, Valeris is like open and there's people everywhere. And there's a rainbow district where she can like for artists, which was her jam before the mountain. Whereas spring court is just like trees, which are trees are great. Um, but there wasn't like, there wasn't like a village nearby. There wasn't an opportunity for her to socialize or to make friends. And really beyond some of like her duties as in the holiday season, she probably would have led more of a life of isolation in the spring court. If she had stayed. Glad she didn't. Glad she didn't. Because Tamlin sucks. Tamlin sucks. Mm -hmm. Reese is awesome. There's a scene where after she accepts uh, Cassian's offer to help fight, Mm -hmm. right? And she's... So Cassian asks her about the note that she sent to Tamlin. And she doesn't really want to talk about it, so he's like, fine, whatever. But she starts thinking about everything that's going on, and she starts getting frustrated and upset. And she notices all of a sudden that she's burned through the uh, sparring pads, right, Mm -hmm. that she's been hitting. And... There, and she's crying and she's sobbing and Cassian's being really sweet and he's like you're not hurting me it's okay you can like keep punching my bare hands basically mm-hmm. and but Reese comes in and is like she, you know uses his wings to sort of make a little cocoon around them mm-hmm. and starts like talking her down a little bit uh, talk, just helping her and that's also the scene I think where he shows her like he tells her oh try to use the power that i've given you which is like the power of darkness which she used i think only once before or maybe twice um she definitely used it after tamlin locked her up i don't know if she used it again but so she's trying to use it and so he kind of shows her then how to use it she's not able to Mm -hmm. and he fills the area he makes the whole area dark and there are all these like pretty stars sort of shining and she can reach out and touch one of them. And it's another one of these beautiful scenes. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. I just really like stars or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's just this beautiful scene um, that's written. And it's just this moment where even though they're around other people, it's still just them. Because you can, even though it's dark, you can, she says that you can hear like metal clashing of Cassian and Asriel using the dark as like a fighting uh, practice. Mm-hmm. Like that. So during the scene, uh, Riz says, There are different kinds of darkness. There is the darkness that frightens, the darkness that soothes, the darkness that is restful. There is the darkness of lovers and the darkness of assassins. It becomes what the bearer wishes it to be needs it to be it is not wholly bad or, or good so this is not just a description of the darkness powers that you know she has inside of her and that he has inside of him it's a description of who he is mm-hmm. i feel like you know he's not yeah. really bad. he's not really good and he can scare you he can soothe you it's just i mean you know he is the night the lord of the night court 
Um, yeah. So, but I think that's just such a beautiful passage or quote, and it describes he's describing himself. Yeah. yeah. This is my favorite of the trilogy. Um, I don't know about you. Marissa, yeah, it uh, definitely is. And I think it's the most romantic one as well. Mm-hmm. So I think the third one is probably the most action-packed. Yeah. This one has a lot of action, but it's also the like most romantic one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait till next week. Yeah. Now that I'm, I can't. Oh, that's right. He's got that whole like monologue that he does. Mm. So Everything he does in the second half. Oh man, the second <laughs> half of the book is even better than the first half. <laughs> so much great trouble. stuff. <laughs> Prepare for more like Reese fangirling. We're just gonna keep saying how much we love him. <laughs> uh, and then uh, probably the last half of well, last twenty five percent of our discussion next week will be about how stupid Tamlin is. So, ugh. Tamlin. Tamlin. One of my friends at work uh, read the series and when she was talking about Tamlin and stuff, I had to try to keep, well, luckily I'm wearing a mask so I didn't really oh, have yeah. to keep that, you know, straight of the face, but I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> just Tamlin. wait. <laughs> <laughs> just wait. <laughs> so, yeah. Alright, so join us next week for Akamoff, <laughs> part two. A Court of Mist and Fury. <laughs> I'm calling it Akamoff. It doesn't sound as good as Akatar, but it does not. Okay. We'll pick back up with our friends as they head to the summer court. That'll be next week. Join us. Anything, if you have any thoughts or anything, you know, we're on Facebook and Instagram. We also have an email, so you can email us. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. <laughs>